Um, it is good to be back behind the pulpit to um, preach God's word. Uh, if you don't mind, won't you uh, pray with me um, for God's blessing upon his word and upon the preaching of uh, God's word as well. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that we are here. I ask that you will bless our time together. I pray that your written word, as it is, will illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you will open up our eyes and open up our ears to under, and our minds to understand what your word says. I pray as we look at our scripture text this morning that it will stand in a, in, a, in a spotlight that is so clear to us. That you will speak to us through your word. I pray God the Holy Spirit will convict our heart, hearts. And I pray that our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified. We are here to praise and worship him. It is he who we adore. It is he who we honor. Allow this not to be true for us, that we will praise him with our lips, but our hearts be far from him. Allow that not to be true for us. Allow us to Praise him with our lips and praise him with our hearts this morning and also with our minds. Lord, you can use anyone to communicate your word. You can use animals such as donkeys. I pray that you would use me this morning to glorify you and to uplift the only name that is above all names. His name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Let me see if I can connect to Prizzy again. While I'm doing this, um, turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to look at verses 25 and 26. And Arlen, can you exit out of Prizzy and start it back up so I can connect to it? All right, Ezekiel 36. Start in verse 25. Um, this is going to be our uh, background text in our morning test will be in the book of Luke. So let me read this, then we'll jump to Luke. In verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle you, I will, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean 
from all of your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let's read verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Now let's jump to Luke chapter 3. Uh, since we are in the Gospel of Luke, and let's look at verses 7 through 14. I, I think you already know that I like to use Old Testament passages to springboard or give us an idea of, of um, the text that is before us. And our scripture text is Luke chapter 3, verses 7 uh, through 14. And uh, this is specifically talking about baptism and that John the Baptist had in ministry. And it reads as follows. It says in verse 7, he said, Therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized... By him, you brought a vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say with yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crows asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Well, as I said, we are venturing through the Gospel of Luke, and we have came to Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 14. There are certain things that I want you to be mindful, and the very first thing I want you to be mindful is man's need to repent. Man's need to repent. There is a need for man to repent of his sin. Man subconsciously know that he is sinfully depraved in mind and heart and is devoid of any truth, 
Also, he suppresses the truth and his own depravity and unrighteousness. The reason why man is depraved is because of our first father, Adam. Adam's disobedience towards God. As soon as Adam acted sinfully towards God by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, Adam's sin and transgression was spiritually and physically passed down to his descendants, us. And this is evident. After the fall of man, certain things enter into this world, which is sin, decay, death, destruction. All of those things enter into this world and it is still reigning rampantly. Mankind is the only creature, the only reasonable creatures that rebel against God. All of all other creatures that God has created glorify God, except for men. You and I inherited a sin nature from our father Adam, and we were born into sin. When Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam was punished, we too were punished. Because we were in Adam. This is why scripture specifically says, Sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And we all died. You and I, we know this to be true. As you and I contest experientially, a desire to sin comes naturally for us. We naturally want to rebel against God. Every person that is born into this world would naturally wants to be born. Um, uh, rebel against God. We innately choose to do what is right in our own eyes. And when Adam was uh, created by God, Adam did not have a sin nature because God created Adam and Eve good. When God created every single thing in this world that we know and experience, he said it was good. But Adam may not have a sin nature until he sinned against God. Now, sin is, a, is part of human nature. It is part of the embryonic stages of life. At the moment of conception, whenever a person is born, they are innocent. But their innocence is coupled with a sin nature that lies within them. 
Job said, what is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? From the womb of all mothers, people will have a sin nature before they take their first breath. David said, we were brought forth in iniquity and in sin. We were conceived and, and we were conceived. Uh, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he said, Our hearts is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But despite the fact that man is sinfully depraved, that man denies God's existence and have no desire to submit to his creator, God still commands all men to repent of their sins and to seek after his righteousness. Throughout scripture, God has repeatedly stated that all men must turn away from their sin. God's declaration for men to repent comes in the form of his commandments, in the form of warnings, and also exhortations, exhorting them, pleading with man to repent. For example, in Psalms chapter 7, verse 12, it says, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and ready his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making arrows of fiery fire. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, our Lord said himself, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In Luke chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus said again, unless you repent, you will perish. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, in the form of an exhortation, our Lord Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what we have before us. And this is the purpose of John the Baptist's gospel, calling men to repentance. Calling sinners to repentance is exactly John the Baptist's message. The reason why God preordained John to be born into this world was solely for the purpose of preaching a gospel of repentance and baptism. So that the hearts of the people would be prepared for the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. John's message was simple. If John was here today preaching to you and me, he would say this. God's wrath is inevitable for those who do not repent for their sins. And they're storing up wrath for themselves. Because they are seeking self-pleasure and worldly gain. And they are void of humility and unrighteousness. However, 
repent and believe in the arrival of the Messiah. That was what John would say to us if he was here. Like I said, God predestined John to preach a preach a gospel of baptism or repentance for the forgiveness of sins that prepared the hearts of men for the arrival of the Lord Jesus. The very purpose is, is why God allowed to, uh, John to be conceived in his mother's womb. Do you remember the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah? Age-old couple around the age of 80. They weren't able to conceive until God intervened in their lives. And they conceived John the Baptist. Because God knew all along before eternity passed that John was going to be the Messiah's prophet. He was going to proclaim the arrival of the Lord Jesus. And he was born for no other reason than to proclaim a gospel that exhorted all men to repent of their sin, which helped sinners to have a humble heart for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was called the prophet of the Most High, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 76. His gospel was prescripted by God. And the point of his message was about repentance and forgiveness. And as we see in our text, uh, starting in, the, uh, in, in Luke chapter 3, until you get down to verse 7, that John was in the wilderness until his public appearance. And it was time for him to start preaching and baptism. It was time for him to start his preaching and baptism ministry as it is shown in our text. It was time for him to prepare the hearts of men or to make what is crooked straight. Our scripture text this morning is, again, is Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 14. And it is my hope that these seven verses would demonstrate three important truths. The first truth is this. We must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to men despite how unpopular it is. Truth number one, we must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to men despite how unpopular it is. Truth number two, God's divine wrath is upon all sinners who refuses to repent of their sin. And truth number three, genuine repentance must be evidential. It must be observable and consistent according to God's word and its nature. When John the Baptist started his public ministry, it was around the river of Jordan. People traveled to John to be baptized by him. And people who were there heard the proclamation of John's gospel. Therefore, they were there to confess their sins 
to and to be baptized. As people travel where John was in the desert and by the Jordan River to be baptized, his popularity increased. And more people wanted to know what his message was all about and who he was. There were, if you look, glance over the text that I read to you this morning, and as you have read as well, there were two kinds of people who visited John to be baptized by him. The two people were the penitent and impenitent. That is the repentant and the unrepentant people. Those are the only two people who were there. The repentant uh, people were the remorseful and apologetic about their sins and transgressions that they committed against God. The unrepentant people were the self-righteous, the self-conceited, who believed that their ethnic lineage and religious traditions justified them before God. Let's look at the first verse. And what, I'm, what I want you to focus on is what John said. In verse 7, he said, Therefore the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brought of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John uses strong language towards the unrepentant people. The unrepentant were the Pharisees and Sadducees. You can, uh, you can look at that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. They were the ones who rejected the grace of God by believing in their own spiritual blindness and self-righteousness. And this is why John the Baptist called them a broad of vipers. In other words, he literally characterized them as broad of snakes, offsprings of snakes. If you're a Bible-believing person, you read your Bible yearly and daily, you would know that scripture portrays snakes in a negative connotation. The Bible portrays snakes as cunning, stealthy, venomous, and dangerous creatures. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, a snake was used by Satan uh, to deceive Adam and Eve. Furthermore, Satan himself is portrayed as the ancient serpent according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. Therefore, whenever someone is characterized as a snake, they're displaying the sinfulness of their own heart. They're acting out their sinful nature and following the character of their father, the devil. For example... Lying, 
sexual adultery, fornication, drunkenness, pridefulness, impurity, jealousy, rage, division, envy, murder, idolatry, covetousness. It's all the character of Satan himself. It was all these things from the beginning of time. And all these sins come from the sin nature that lies within sinful individuals, which is the same sin nature of Satan. Because they willfully contradict God's commands and words and nature. When you sin, saints, when you or myself sin, we're not portraying the character of God. We're portraying the character of Satan. God does not sin. God is not like man that he should change his mind. God is holy. Another aspect of John's usage of strong language is that he was speaking plainly and poignantly towards the unrepentant. He calls sin for what it is. Sin. (laughs) He calls a spade a spade. In today's culture of political correctness, people do not want to hear truthful words anymore. They'd rather hear soothing words that, that makes them comfortable with their lifestyle their, and their living. But the truth of the matter is, political correctness and the proclamation of the gospel are non-mutually exclusive concepts. They do not go hand in hand. For example, Pastor John MacArthur said, Christianity, well, as he was doing an interview uh, with a political commentator, uh, John MacArthur said, Christianity that is inoffensive is not Christianity. Christianity that, in, that is inoffensive is not Christianity. He further said, as a pastor, it is my job to offend everyone. It is unpopular to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is offensive to people when you tell them that they need to repent of their sins. But saints, to be effective proclaimers and teachers of God's word, we must call out sin and label people according to the type of sins that they're committing against God. We have to preach and teach the word of God truthfully, caring about the not, caring not about the feelings of others. Because our aim is not to tickle people's ears. 
but to preach the word of God despite how offensive it is to people. Because when we label people according to the type of sin, we've just been faithful to God's word. The scripture itself communicates how, I mean, what type of sinners we are, or should I say we were. Depending on where you are in your walk of life with Christ. Like, for example, if a person is lying, that person is what? A liar. If a person steals something, that person is a, a thief. If a person has an adultery, that person is an adulterer. If a person is, is having sexual relations without, I mean, with many people outside the confines of marriage, that person is a sexual immoral whore. People may say, oh, it is rude to describe people according to those terms. We shouldn't say things like that. Let's not be too harsh when we speak to people. Let's speak in loving terms. It may seem impolite, brass, and harsh to speak to people in that fashion. However, Scripture does not care about people's feelings. I say this jokingly to my wife all the time because I heard it from a political commentator. Facts don't care about your feelings. If it's true, it is true. And the truth will not change because of your feelings. Scripture cares about declaring the sinful nature of man and how sin separated man from God. And calling man to repentance. That is what Scripture cares about. So when we take our Bibles and we read it, we're reading what Scripture is declaring, which is glorify God. Repent of your sins and glorify God. And furthermore, this is exactly how John the Baptist spoke to people when he called down broader vipers. As we continue to venture through the book of Luke, we will learn that Herod imprisoned John the Baptist due to the very fact that John proclaimed to Herod that it was unlawful for him to sleep and marry his brother's wife. And we know the end of John the Baptist's uh, life, I mean, story. That by him proclaiming that truth, it costed him his life. John spoke the truth to the Pharisees and Sadducees by calling them hip- uh, uh, or Our Lord spoke the truth to the Pharisees and Sadducees by calling them hypocrites. If you read the story about uh, Jesus calling a, 
uh, insinuating that a woman was a dog because she came to him for him to heal her daughter? That wasn't loving terms. But Jesus was making them point. The salvation is of the Jews first, then the Gentiles. But according to her faith, she knew despite her disposition, despite where she stood, she saw the glory of Christ and still submitted to it. Despite her sin, she accepted the truth and still accepted what Christ said to her. Because salvation is more important. And therefore, preaching the gospel will forever be unflattering to those who need it. I remember talking, I remember talking to an older gentleman about how he was treating his wife. His wife came outside the door and he started yelling at her. I said, you shouldn't talk to your wife that way. He said, don't, don't start preaching to me. I want to hear that preaching stuff. But the Bible called him a fool. According to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8 says, rebuke a scoffer. He will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Do you understand? When you preach the gospel, a lot of people will hate you. But there are individuals who will love you for proclaiming the truth to them. And we just talk about how the gospel must be proclaimed despite its unpopularity and offensiveness to people. Now let us talk about how the gospel declares God's divine judgment towards guilty sinners. And this is why John said what he said, the wrath of, uh, to come. Now, during my study on this passage, one commentator said, God's wrath referenced the temporal judgment that that would befall the Jewish nation in the war of A.D. 66 through 70. And yes, there, were, there, there was a temporal judgment upon the nation of Israel, which the Romans came and decimated and destroyed the temple and the Jewish nation, and, they, and every, all the Jews who were scattered, millions of, millions of people died in that war. That is the same thing that our Lord prophesied that would, would happen in Luke, according to Luke chapter 21, verse 6. Our Lord said, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Our Lord prophesied that war. But when you read the text here in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, and focusing on what John said, the wrath, of, uh, the wrath to come, He's not talking about the temporal judgment. He wasn't talking about the war. He was speaking about God judging individuals 
not nation, uh, the nation as a whole. John was talking about the about God judging the nation of Israel, uh, not talking about the job, God judging the nation of Israel holistically, but individually. John the Baptist explicitly speaks about the God's divine wrath that is inevitably for unrepentant sinners, sinners who refuse to repent and trust. And the Savior, Jesus Christ. Like I said, John says in verse 7, the wrath to come. He made a similar statement in verse 9. He says, an axe will cut down all trees that doesn't bear good fruit and thrown into the fire. Again, it was speaking about God's imminent judgment. The trees that John mentioned is a picture of individuals, not nation, not a nation. John said the axe is laid. This means that God's judgment is present. It poses a real threat to unrepentant sinners and he will cast his judgment upon them. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What fire? What type of fire are you talking about, John? The the fire that belongs to the home of the children of the devil and demons. The fire that is eternal and everlasting. The fire that causes men and women to seek death of annihilation, but would not find it. The fire where men and women will acknowledge that Jesus could have been their Lord, but now he is their judge. The fire is for those who choose not to believe and will suffer an eternal punishment in hell for rejecting the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the fire John is talking about. But most preachers would like to preach about love, the love of God. They would say God is love, and that is true. God is love. But God is also holy and just. And this is why he must punish guilty sinners. And John the Baptist was the type of preacher that preached about the wrath of God. If you ever read classical preachers like Jonathan Edwards, he even titled one of his books, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. One commentator says, whenever the message of John was, I mean, whatever the message of John was, it was not a gospel. It was not good news. It was a news of terror. That is to say, John did not preach the gospel 
What is the gospel? What is, biblically, how do you define the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. But John did not preach the gospel. But he did preach a gospel of baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that people may have a change of mind and do what is right according to God's word and God's nature. I remember my wife sharing a story with me about a kid that she warned uh, three times. She told this kid three times to do what she asked him to do because it was bedtime. Bedtime was approaching. As soon as it was time for this kid to go to bed, he wanted to do what she asked him to do. But she politely said, no, go to bed. She warned him consecutively three times, but he ignored her warnings. And it was too late for him. Likewise, I know that God has warned everyone of his coming judgment. He has warned all of us. How has he warned us, you ask? There are at least three ways God has warned you and me to repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The first warning, God has warned uh, you and me through nature, through nature. Nature itself testifies that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and holy. Only foolish people believe in a bit bang theory. Like I told my brother once, he said, yeah, I believe in a bit bang. I said, I do too. I just believe that God pulled the trigger. Then, because it must, if there is a creation, there must be a creator. And the scripture says, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 16. 18 through 21, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness for men by who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So all men are without an excuse. Second warning. God has warned you and me by giving us a conscience. He has given us a moral compass of knowing what is right and what is wrong. God's law is written on the hearts of all men. And whenever they transgress against God's laws, 
they naturally feel guilty and accountable for their actions. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their on the hearts, where their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Third warning. God has warned you and me through the written word of the Bible. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, answer to number three says, the scripture principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of men. And over and over again, the word of God commands and exhorts and warns men to repent. Unless, and if they do not repent, God's wrath will be swift and unexpected. That's Colossians 3, verse 5 says. But these warnings from God is, is for our good. It is for our good. And for the well-being for others. God warns everyone so that they may escape his divine judgment. He is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's wrath ought to urge us to repent. As I was talking to my Sunday school kids this morning about honoring your father and mother, I remember how many times my mom whooped my butt. It only took me a couple of times to realize she ain't playing. So when I did something wrong, She'll curl up her lip, and I'll look at her. I said, okay, I'm in trouble. But those impressions and experience of me and my mother was for my good. She didn't want me to perish. And this saying likewise with God. God's wrath ought to urge us to repent so we may escape from being eternally damned. Paul said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Save some from what? God's wrath. What I want you to notice in our text again, look at uh, Luke chapter 3 and look at how they responded to John the Baptist in verse 8. 
chapter 3, verse 8, John said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We have Abraham. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. After John the Baptist warned them of God's imminent wrath upon those who reject the gospel and will not repent, or the, uh, reject the gospel of repentance and the salvation of our Lord, he then expressed the common belief people have. I mean, had. The Jewish people of that day believed that they were justified because God, I mean, before God, because they were descendants of Abraham. They believed their heritage, bloodline, traditions, and religion is what saved them since, they, since Abraham was their forefather. They believe that Abraham granted them the right to inherit the kingdom of God. You remember the story of the rich man and the poor man Lazarus. Now the rich man cried out from the other side of complete darkness and separation from God, crying towards Abraham, saying, Abraham, Abraham, my father, Send over Lazarus so he can dip his finger in the water and bring it to me so my tongue will be thirst and quench. They believe, again, the right that Abraham gave them the right to inherit the kingdom of God. But that belief is far from the truth. Because John told them that God was able to make stones to be the children of Abraham. In other words, those stones represented them because they had a stony heart. As I explained earlier, as we read Ezekiel chapter chapter 35, I'm at 36, verses 25 through 26. That's the reason I read that particular text. That God would give, will cleanse people of their sins and give them a heart, replace the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Because they had a stony heart. Another thing about this, if you really think about it, Abraham wasn't their father. They couldn't claim to themselves that Abraham was their father. Their father was the devil. Why do I say this? Because earlier John said they were the offspring of snakes. And even to our Lord during his earthly ministry, when the Jewish people uh, touted their ethnic heritage toward Jesus, saying we are the offspring of Abraham, and Abraham is our father. 
Jesus, in response to their claim, Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you will be doing the works of Abraham did. That is to say, if you were faithful and believe in God of the Bible, just like Abraham did, you would not be persecuting me. If they were truly children of Abraham, they would have repented like Abraham repented. They would have had faith like Abraham had faith. For example, the life of Abraham is it's a story that we all remember. In the beginning of Abraham's life, he was a liar. He lied several times, as we know. He was an adulterer. He slept with his wife's mistress, Hagar. He was faithless. He doubted God and God's word. He was a cowardice individual. But after he truly was transformed into a new creation, he became a man of righteousness. After God grabbed a hold of his heart, then that's when we saw the change. The change from Abram to Abraham. That Abraham was willing to do whatever it takes to glorify God, even to the point of laying his own son on the altar to sacrifice. But these individuals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all who those, those who who claim, made that claim that Abraham was our father, was making a boast of the flesh. It was boasting about themselves. And Scripture reminds us that we should not boast of the flesh, which is exactly what the Jewish people were doing. And two years ago when we did a, went down to uh, Perkins Park, uh, Park and we just had a good time with the guys who was playing basketball there. And eventually we were just communicating and, uh, to them and trying to share the gospel with them. And I remember an individual by the name of Maurice. I talked to Maurice. I listened to him. I said a little, to, a little words. And as I was talking to him, he kept on saying, well, I don't believe in Christianity. I'm a Muslim. And... And since I'm a Muslim, I believe that I'm going to get saved by my merits, by my good deeds. I said, Maurice, how do you know this? He said, I know this to be true. He said, I'm not trying to brag, but if I don't make it in, I'm going to be upset because I am Maurice. I am Maurice. What I learned from that experience with Maurice is that he was boasting in his own self-unrighteousness. That he was basing his good deeds 
uh, placing his good deeds before God and say, you better accept me for who I am. This is precisely what the Jewish people were doing. However, your nationality, your ethnicity cannot save you from God's eternal wrath. I don't care if you white, black, Hispanic, Asian, African, whatever person you are ethnically, ethnically, God's judgment is still upon you if you do not repent of your sins. And place your trust in the righteousness of Jesus. It shouldn't. I can, to me, I'm preaching to the choir because I have confidence that you guys understand the gospel. You understand by your that your own merits cannot save you, but you're placing your trust. And the righteousness of Jesus, because him alone is the only way that you can approach God's throne and to be saved. But many people don't know this. You ask people, what is the gospel? They will say gospel music. gospel is not gospel music. The gospel is acknowledging that you are a sinner. and You stand before a holy and righteous God who will judge you for your sins that you committed against him. He will hold you accountable too. And the only way to escape your creator is to place your trust faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's the only acceptable sacrifice that God has offered to all men. Let's talk about the bearing fruits. Bearing fruits. What does it mean to bear fruit of repentance? You see, as we are Looking at our scriptural text, according to verse 8, that John said, bear fruits and keep in repentance. In verse 9, he said, every tree that therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what does it mean? John simply is telling us that repentance must be noticeable. Genuine repentance must be observable. Similar to uh, a person who's not been genuine or remorseful. It's like a child who said, just say, I'm sorry, because their parents told them to say sorry. Say you sorry, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. You think about the story of, of, of Jonah when he proclaimed the gospel to the Ninevites. The entire city was remorseful over their own sin. 
that they put on sackcloth, uh, black sackcloth and ashes and, and to display how remorseful they were. So I hope you understand the need of repentance and why God's wrath is upon those who do not repent of their sin. Now I want you to understand the meaning of repentance and understand what repentance is. Repentance means to turn away from your destructive ways. Be sorrowful about your sin. Accompany with sincere endeavors and reliance on the grace and aid of God's Holy Spirit. To live in a humble and holy obedience to God's divine command and will. Simply put, repentance means to have a change of heart, to have a change of mind, to not wallow in the sinful uh, mess that you was doing, to be cleansed of it. Whenever you repent, you are making a conscious decision to die to yourself and to do what is right according to God's eyes. Furthermore, saints, repentance is not a matter just a matter of speech, but it's a matter of conformity. If you repent, you must conform. Your words must match your actions. There must be evidence showing that you repented of your sin. Whenever I hear about people who grew up in the church, or even to my, uh, back in Georgia, or even here at this particular church, or whatever church, it doesn't matter. And people say, yes, I went to church, I do this and I do that. I believe in God. But their words are not matching up with their actions. I treat that individual like an unregenerate sinner. I treat them according to their actions, not by their words. So there must be evidence showing that you repent. And that's quite different than a lot of people who are walking in holiness. If a brother or sister sin, and they truly repented of their sin and feeling remorseful and ungrateful and unworthy and groveling at the feet of our Lord Jesus, asking him to restore them, it is our job as a church to circle around the individual and uplift them and to encourage them and strengthen them and slowly restore them. And I would treat that individual like a brother or a sister. But let's not us be hypocrites. You cannot continue to say that you repented 
of your sin and go on sinning. It's hypocritical. If you're acting in this manner, you are deceiving yourself. The scripture says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. If God's seed abides in him, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And what does that mean to be born of God? These scriptures talks about being born of God. It is a supernatural act that starts with God. That you must be born again in order to be saved. If you're not born again, you're not saved. If you have not been cleansed of your sins, if you have not been created into a new creation, if you have not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. However, that opportunity still stands that you can be born again. But bearing fruit is the ideal of a, of a tree producing fruits. And do you remember the story of Jesus cursing a fig tree? Jesus was hungry. He went to a fig tree for food, but he could not find any fruit on it but leaves. And he cursed the fig tree and then it withered away because it bare no fruit. Although it wasn't time for figs to be produced in that season. Ironically, right? But the point is, when the Lord Jesus approached that fig tree, despite whatever season it was in, it was supposed to bear fruit because he was present. He was there. And since it didn't bear any fruit, he cursed it. And then it withered away. And what Jesus did to that fig tree is the same thing that God would do to those who do not genuinely repent of their sins and bear fruit. And this is why you see in the very uh, section, the last couple of sections of our text and, and um Verses 12 through 14. That John has exhorted them to bear fruit. This is why people was coming up to John and say, what must we do? This is why the tax collectors who had a remorseful heart and said and came to be baptized with John, teacher, what shall we do? And he exhorted them, since you have a remorseful heart. Since you have repentance, do not collect no more than you are authorized to do. Do not steal from people. 
Do not embezzle people out of their money. And when the soldiers came up, having a remorseful heart after hearing the proclamation of the gospel of baptism of repentance, they said, what must we do? They said, do not exhort money from anyone by threatening them or by false accusation, but be content with your wages. This is why when you have a, when you genuinely repent of your sins, the natural consequence of genuinely repenting is showing observable fruits. This is why when, when, when the soldiers came to him, and John said, do not exhort people from anyone by threats or false accusations to be content with your wages. He's telling them, stop being a thief. And today's lane, stop thieving. Or as a rapper would say, a Christian rapper would say, you thief loafing right now. But scripture says that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Saints, as we come to a close, I really want you to apply these words of what John said to yourselves. There's only two people in this world. Those who have genuinely repented and who are in Christ. And those who are have not genuinely repented and who are in 